0: This episode of The Green Rush is brought to you by Heffernan Insurance Brokers. For a long time, cannabis companies have been shut out of many financial and insurance opportunities. That has now changed as cannabis companies have an option that can change their company's bottom line. Berkshire Hathaway is exclusively partnered with Heffernan Insurance Brokers, and the first work comp dividend program for businesses in the cannabis industry is now available nationwide. Rates that are filed in states across the U.S. can receive up to 40% of your premium back. So if you're an MSO that would like to have the potential to receive premium back on your work comp, give Kevin Tarango at Heffernan Insurance Brokers a ring at 415-699-2022 or go to heffcan.com. That's H-E-F-F-C-A-N-N.com. Support Heffernan Insurance Brokers' efforts to strengthen the cannabis community and revolutionize how cannabis companies buy work
1: comp insurance. This week, we are lucky to have host emeritus Louis Goldberg join Phil Carlson to speak with Ken Belotsky and Haim Ratclaw of Negev Capital, an Israel-based psychedelics medical intervention investment fund that targets companies that are at an early stage of clinical development. In this conversation, Ken and Haim walk our hosts through Negiv's investment philosophy, their best and worst investment bets and what they learn from them, and how Israeli companies have the unique ability to punch above their weight in the biotech space. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Ken Belotsky and Haim Ratclaw, principals at Negiv Capital.
0: Welcome to The Green Rush. Uh, we have a unique opportunity today to speak with Ken Belotsky and Chaim Rocklaw, Rak- um, two of the principals at Negev Capital. Negev is one of the best investment vehicles out there working in the psychedelic space. I'm Louis Goldberg. I am one of the hosts today of The Green Rush. I am joined by my colleague and friend, Phil Carlson. What's going on, Phil?
2: Lewis, I'm doing well. How are you,
0: my friend? I love being on the Green Rush. You know, I used to do it all the time, and now it's 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 like intermittent. Um, I have passed the reins over to Nick and Ann, as everybody knows. But when I get to to talk to friends like Chaim and Ken, it's always a pleasure. So, guys, welcome to the Green Rush.
3: Thank nice you, Lewis. Visit. Thank you, Philip.
0: Um, before Phil, you jump in. Um, KCSA has been working in the the psychedelic space since 2017, 2018, and we met Negev back in 2020, 2021, when you guys were founded. Um, And it's a pretty unique position that Negev has. You know, there has been a lot of history of Israel's role and involvement in the cannabis industry. Um, And sadly, we are recording today on Friday, uh, March 10th, and it was just announced that um, uh, Raphael Meshulam uh, passed away, and, you know, Raphael, for the audience who doesn't know, is basically the guy who discovered the THC molecule. There may not be a lot of understanding or awareness in amongst our audience or generally about the role that Israel has played in research in the psychedelic space in um, disorders of the central nervous system. So before we get into you guys and before Phil jumps into like tell us the Negev story, can you give a little background if you can about the work that's been done? In Israel, on research into um, the psychedelic space, and and give us some. Just lay it out there for us.
3: Sure. Um, well, I'll I'll say a couple words about Israel, and then I think Ken should uh, should address the the Negev part of that question. Um, broadly speaking, for those in the audience that that, uh, that that aren't aware, Israel punches way above its weight in terms of biotech in general clinical research med tech research pharma research across the board uh highest density of phds per capita Um, more public companies traded on american exchanges the only country ahead of israel there is canada right next door um the number of patents in in medicine is greater than most of Central Europe combined. So Israel has always been a powerhouse of R and D since since the 90s, and that of course is true. You just referenced Dr. Rafael Meshulam. Of course, that was true in in cannabis, and it continues to be true in in psychedelics. Most notably, that probably most of your audience would be aware of is um, MDMA and MAPS. Uh, a not insignificant portion of the phase three data that just went. Through the FDA came from from Israel, and they've been researching, doing this research for twelve about twelve years. There's um, research ongoing with MDMA, with psilocybin, uh, soon with DMT and and other molecules. So Ken,
4: yeah. So uh, negative stories, uh, yes, it's pretty unique because uh, my background. I was all my life the entrepreneur in high tech and software. I co-founded two startups from scratch until the successful exit. And after that, I spent a few years in investments in my best Israeli and US-based uh, high-tech companies. <clears throat> but I think in 2020, I realized that uh, I cannot do it anymore. So I cannot do all my life uh, this uh, kind of projects. I want to do something meaningful. And for me, mental health was always... Uh, uh, with the first priority, and we started to explore different mental health startups. And that's how we met uh, first psychedelic companies. Actually, my first personal investment was in uh, entire life sciences when it was just a private company. Uh, yeah, so now, in, in uh, yes, so in 2020, yes, so we have done first uh, investments in psychedelics. We spent a bunch of time to explore the science and the progress that this uh, uh, research has been done, not only in Israel, but worldwide. And for me personally, it was like a personal mission. So I realized that uh, it's personally important for me to help other people. We we now have more than one billion people worldwide suffering from different mental health conditions. And that's how Nagiv Capital was emerged. And you know, Israel is very famous. Uh, It's a startup nation. So people in Israel, they're always open for any new high risky projects and they have enough energy and power to disrupt any industry that they work with. So that's why Negev Capital is one of the best venture funds in the industry.
0: You know, it, it's interesting that, you know, when I hear that, I know that Negev comes from the, the desert, right? And um <laughs> If you go back in history, and I'm going to take us back thousands of years, like thousands of years, um, when um, Moses uh, was, um, you know, talking to the to the burning bush, uh, there is a thought that that was the acacia plant, and that when you burn the acacia plant, you are inhaling DMT, and that Moses's visions of speaking to the burning village and his engagement with God was really a DMT trip. And that's, that's a, an idea that was proposed by, you know, Rick Strassman, who is, was one of the leading researchers into DMT. He was the first guy to go back and get the, the FDA and um, DEA license in 1995 to do research on DMT. And, um, you know, I, there is this unknown intersection between the the Hebrew Bible and psychedelics. Is that part of the name that you came up with for Negev? Or what why why Negev? Or am I just like spinning like ideas out here that have nothing to do with anything?
4: Negev is just a beautiful name. Don't you think so? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do think it's a beautiful name. Yeah, that's all. No background, just a beautiful name.
0: Okay. Um, well, you know, no, I was so trying. I tried. To, I tried to set you up with one, but you know, that's I'll, cool.
3: I'll say this, Lewis, the the assumption, uh, the the leap that you made on the on the nomenclature, uh, things like that happen all the time when we speak with people familiar with Israel, because people go to the Negev. It's a place of, uh, it's a beautiful place. Beautiful name. Rest, recovery, healing, um, even actually even clinically for ailments down at the Dead Sea so people make all sorts of those connections but
0: but you guys didn't so I'm going to get by the way this is now your backstory. so the next time you explain why Negev, I just gave it to you
4: <laughs> it's why I need to engage uh, KCSA for this class. <laughs> 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 hey we 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 would love to work with you
0: guys but that's not what the point of this conversation is um you know there is uh, the the way that we view the the mental health industry and specifically the psychedelics industry is it's a tri- We think of it as a triangle, right? That if the patient is in the middle of the triangle, the top of the triangle is drug development. How are we going to create drugs that treat the the disorders of the central nervous system, um, whether they be anxiety or stress or, or depression? They could be uh, addiction, OCD, any trauma related. Um, expression in the body. That's the top. The bottom corner, the bottom left corner is delivery. How do we get the drugs into the patient, whether it be from a clinic? So are we going to have a clinical network or is it through uh, intravenous or sublingual? You know, it's the drug delivery component. And then the other corner is targeted psychiatry, right? Because historically, psychiatry has not been Uh, ultra effective at saying, this is the right drug for the right trauma or the right uh, uh, issue that a patient is facing. We're going to do whether it's genetic testing or other ways of identifying what a patient needs so that we can give the best care to the patient who's in the middle of the triangle. From an investment thesis, where on this spectrum, where on this triangle is Negev looking first and foremost? And how do you decide where to deploy capital?
3: In terms of I, uh, that, uh, that identification, and've I've spent 25 years in biotech from diagnostics to surgery. Um, Negav is not focused on the diagnostic side. So determining what uh, what pathology, what ailment, what a patient is suffering from, that's not where negative is focused, though there is some interesting work going on, and the way we're looking at mental health is is evolving for the better. And we're we're all for that, but that's not where we invest the money. Mm-hmm. We're on the therapeutic side, so um, the match of clinical indication with uh, novel drug development. So Negev's fund two uh, is focused on uh, novel molecules. So the not the first generation. First generation being the classic psychedelics, you know, LSD nineteen forty three, MDMA sixty uh, eight. Uh, 67 or psilocybin, I don't know, 2,000 BC, when, whenever that was. These are unpatentable uh, molecules, but they're also that they weren't designed for clinical indications. So there's a there's a union of value and utility with the right novel molecules. So derivatives of, inspired by engineered molecules specifically pointed at a clinical indication, either better clinical efficacy, reduction of side effects you don't want, shortening of, uh, of certain aspects of the experience to make it more conducive for broad use in in healthcare, helping more people. So what Negev is looking for is not simply new molecules that were created that you know are just on the right side of the patent lawyers. We're looking for novel molecules that were created that are really better- at helping particular indications of of focus. And beyond that we're 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 not dogmatic and uh we're broad in terms of uh class of of molecules. So we're we're DMT and psilocybin and MDMA d- molecules inspired by all of them. Uh ketamine uh are are um, targets for the portfolio. And the second so- component I'm <laughs> oh, sorry go ahead please
2: no, go ahead. I, I I want you to finish this because I do have a follow up on this <clears throat> uh,
3: so the so I said negative, the two components of focus are uh, well, therapeutic broadly, so drugs in development. Uh, first is uh, next generation drugs, novel molecules, and the second is at the what what we refer to as the mid-stage of development. So preclinical is done and they're in or about to be in the clinical development stages. So we define that as phase one to phase two B, uh, which is an expensive valley. Uh, so I, I I'm sure this question will come up about our perspective on where the market is today, given valuations being hit. Putting all that aside, just look at the R&D progress, and we are in a better place now than we were six months ago, or a year ago, or 18 months ago, or 30 months ago. The R&D's progressed, and you have many companies, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Kim, but it's over a dozen that are now in phase two or about to be in phase two. Well, uh, more. So I of-
0: more. So, more. It's more, yeah.
3: So we we want to support the best companies that are, that are uh, going to be entering and exiting. Phase two B. Uh and that's when um that that's when other parties will come in and carry the 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 assets with good quality phase two b results through phase three and on to market.
2: So staying on this, you you say, you know, the the companies that are you know the ones that you're messing out. In. Now are you betting on the horse or the rider here? Like like for those of us that Go to Monmouth Park on the weekends in the summertime. <laughs> Are you looking at the uh, underlying science? Or does the management mean more,
3: but a hundred percent both. Like I think we're all everybody on this call is experienced enough to know that a uh, uh, a great team will carry even a mediocre idea across the line. And uh, 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 I don't know if we're allowed to curse on the podcast, but
1: sure, you can uh, say whatever the
0: fuck you want
3: a shitty team is could kill an excellent idea so of of course we 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 look at both we have an amazing really it's one of the reasons why I was honored to to join Negev is the the um advisory board first of all the principals themselves uh have very relevant experience in in this space uh Ken has two partners one of which is experienced in finance has a has a long history in the PE fund space in in the billions of dollars. The other is a leading pharmacopsychiatrist, uh, operates both in New York and in Israel, teaches, and has done research with Columbia. And then we have an advisory board that goes very deep in uh, in pharmaceutical research, in um, uh, medicinal chemistry, and in uh, intellectual property. And then we have sort of an unofficial Advisory board, basically the network that's built when you look at 170 companies in the space uh, that we go to for for very specific advice. So we go deep on the science and the intellectual property and the clinical applications and the the uh, CNS uh, environment. We even look try to look down the road at how an effective molecule could be deployed with the healthcare system being what it is. Um, and of course, we also spend a great deal of time with, with the team.
0: You know, you, we, you guys mentioned that there are now dozen plus dozens, literally, of companies, um, and there are dozens of trials in phase two. And, and we know that MAPS is, is well through phase three. Many of these companies are listed on secondary or tertiary exchanges on secondary and tertiary markets. So I have a series of questions that you guys can unpack in any way you want. Venture companies don't often invest in public companies, right? They want to get in before they are public to to get the greatest value that they can for their investments. How do you feel about investing in companies that are listed on the OTC or the CSE or the TSX or the LSE that are not on the NASDAQ, on a proven exchange where biotech companies are? Because- you know, most of these companies are, are nowhere close to having the capital on hand to complete phase two, let alone phase three, or go to commercial.
4: Yeah, so, absolutely Yes, there is no, for these companies, there is no chance to raise enough capital at, at this shitty stock exchanges, as you mentioned. So uh, what we do right now, we advise uh, these companies to do three options. Option number one, is to do go in private transaction. So we offer to buy out all the retail shareholders who are not interested in long-term development, take the company private, finance it to the next inflection point, and then do public placement in the right exchange. Uh, sometimes it's complicated because not all shareholders support such kind of uh, decisions. In this case, we offer to do a spin out of one of the assets, because sometimes companies have different business uh, applications. So we chose what we are most interested in and we offer to do spin off into the private company. We finance this company and do the same in the future. In some rare cases, it makes sense to do the listing to NASDAQ, but right now the demand for because it doesn't make any sense, actually. they listed right now at Nasdaq. It doesn't help them. They need to raise the capital. And right now in Nasdaq, it's a supply of public companies. It's more than 800 uh, biotech public companies. And you know, 25% of them traded below the cash in the account. So it doesn't help to be at Nasdaq right now.
0: No, it's definitely easier to be private. And to raise private than it is to be public. So you mentioned, Ken, that, you know, one of these strategies is to identify a company that may be trading below cash and take them private, get them funded, and then get prepared for uh, a, a re-public offering,
2: right? Yeah. So what is the size So even for a public again? Just want to stay private for – does it even make sense because –
4: Okay, so we should understand that the downturn in psychedelics is a, is a subsequent action of the downturn in biotech. It was a big hype in biotech with too many companies that became public too early at preclinical stage without any results, without any positive data. And, uh, that bubble burst right now There are too many companies public uh, everywhere. So what we need to do right now, we need to pick up the best assets. We are the long-term investor. We are ready to support these companies at least next three to seven years until the successful exit. Either these companies will be acquired by big pharma or they will be strong enough to go to be public again in NASDAQ in a few years when the public markets will be in different shape. Nobody knows what will be the option, but we believe the next few years, it doesn't make any sense to be public in Canada or any other secondary exchange
0: well, it's the same thing that happened with a lot of the cannabis companies, right? I mean, we, we, we know that the, the Canadian markets are really, really excellent for mining and minerals and, and some other places. But for biotech, I can't name a single um, really super successful biotech company that started on the CSE. And I'm sure you guys may be able to, um, but I can't. Ken, I, I, I want to just go back to the, the, the public company issue. There are many, many of these these biotechs that are trading for less than fifty million dollars. Some of them are trading for less than twenty million dollars. Without and it, you can name names if you want. I'm not going to say without naming names, but you know what is the size of the public company that you believe that Negev can facilitate taking private? And if there's a target that you want to mention, go ahead and mention it. And if you don't want to, don't though I I would love for you to be that juicy, Um, but what is the size of company we're talking about?
4: Look, so according to our knowledge and our data, right now the median market cap for the mid-stage, clinical stage, uh, psychedelic drug development companies is 23 million US dollars. Uh, some companies traded higher, some companies traded lower, but this is our sweet spot from 20 million to 40 million. We are ready to do this transaction. So from the fund to we are going to finance uh, an average from 15 to 25 million per company to finance this company until the next inflection point. And we have, uh, other co investors who would like to join us in these transactions and support these companies until they have a successful exit. So Hayumi, what I think I heard Ken say was you guys are looking at
0: companies that are in that twenty to forty million dollar valuation range that you have the, the powder or the syndicate to take them private and then to continue to help fund them for tens mm-hmm. of millions of dollars. Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely that's
3: correct. That's why we're raising a fund at the scale we're we're raising it at. Which is
2: how
0: big, by the way?
3: Two hundred and fifty million.
0: I got 50, you- 55 cents in my pocket. Can I get in?
3: What, what's the minimum, Ken? Is, I think it might be fifty seven <laughs> cents.
0: <laughs> Actually, what is the minimum? I mean, you know, all all joking aside, you know, while there are going to you are going to only be able to take from accredited investors. What is the minimum size of an investment in in the next round that you guys are raising?
4: Ah, uh, looks so. First of all, we don't have uh, too much time in our day day to to talk to any investors, yes. So we right now focused uh, on the investors who can bring at least 5 million US dollars into our fund. We already have uh, three deals that we need to close uh, in the next few months. So we need to do the first closing for our fund pretty soon. So we just cannot talk with all the people, but there is a lot of interest, but we cannot talk with all the people who wants to be with us. But uh, as soon as we do the first closing, we'll be open for a uh, wider range of investors, but for sure, we work on with professional ones. And if people are looking
2: to put money to work in your fund, how would they, you know, do they reach out to you directly? How would that go? Yes.
3: Yes more than welcome to reach out to us. I, I assume our contact information will be uh, listed somewhere.
0: It, it, will be. It, it will be. Yes. Um, Chaim, you you did not start as a GP at Negev. You started no. elsewhere. Um, can you talk a little bit about your background? And then I want to talk sure. to you about one of the deals that, that you did, um, which was at the peak of the, the, the psychedelic valuations.
3: Yeah. Yeah, my background is um, in in healthcare my entire career. I started in the uh, mid-late 90s when hospitals were first digitizing. So my early days was digital radiology and, and image-guided surgery. And I, I worked with a company uh, that went public in New York and Toronto. It was, it was Canadian-based. It's actually how an American wound up being a naturalized Canadian citizen. Um, and it was a wonderful education because I got to work with uh, GE and Philips and Siemens, and Toshiba and Hitachi, and the, the big biotech companies, all successful. And because it was a global business, you know, really different cultures. So that's where I cut my teeth. And then I worked with small and medium-sized companies the rest of my uh, the thereafter because that's what I really enjoyed. Um, and uh, that ranged from medical imaging to um, uh, orthopedic, surgery and uh, infectious disease diagnostics and big data before it became popular in the last several years. Uh, now everybody knows what a rapid diagnostic test is. Uh, and when I moved to Israel, I uh, worked in a um, uh, I, I was recruited to run an incubator. Uh, actually it was it was mostly cannabis focused and it was focused on on the healthcare side. Um, I'm not a consumer goods person. I've been in healthcare my whole career. And the most fascinating thing that came through to the extent that I, uh, I took the helm, became CEO was a company called, uh, SciTech that I helped to, to co-found. And so I'm leading into your, the, the question, uh, your next question, Lewis. SciTech was, uh, focused on the care delivery end of the spectrum. In order to do that, we needed to get, educated on the care development side of the spectrum and this was January of 2020 I actually founded the company in November of 19 and then in 2020 and we uh hired us <laughs> we did do that and uh that was that was one amongst a series of, of smart things that that we did uh so we were focused on uh, care delivery as I said uh so we had a a community arm. We had some of the earliest, uh, events, uh, in the space. Um, with the onset of COVID, our event in Tel Aviv was scrapped and became virtual. Uh, but that afforded us the opportunity to meet everybody who was developing, um, who were developing these novel therapeutics. Uh, and we had clinics in Chicago. Um, we acquired the clinics of Dr. Abed Nazir. Um, and we developed software in conjunction with a wonderful Israeli company uh, that was to promote adherence to protocol because these aren't just new prescription drugs; these are new modalities of care. Adherence to protocol by both patients and physicians, uh, and together that was that was Cytec. And uh, as you said, at the height of um, at the height of the markets and at, at the height of the hype after we had closed our series a, um, we, we, we were soliciting, we were beginning to get offers, unsolicited offers for acquisition. And, um, 75% of them were from companies that were developing drugs, uh, that were public and that saw what probably saw what field trip was doing and, Thought that there would be good value in bringing care delivery under the same corporate roof as uh, as care development, as as drug development, and um, we did an equity deal, and the company was acquired by Wisana Healthcare.
0: So, you know, you mentioned two companies that were very well thought of. You know that that established really well known brands, both Wisana and Field Trip, both of which. Were clients of KCSAs and are, are led by people who I consider to be personal friends. Why do you guys think, and, and maybe you don't have an answer to this, but why has the clinic model to date been such a failure, right? It's not just those two companies. I mean, it is the entire for-profit clinical network for psychedelics. Why, why have they been failures?
3: I would take issue with the question. Uh, I'll tell you why I say that. Um, Excellent. <laughs> I think there was. Uh, I think there were issues strategically. the The logic of bringing those two facets under the same corporate roof was not a good idea. In, in retrospect, right. And of course, you know, the, the, this is Monday morning quarterbacking to be sure, but uh, still valuable when you look into the future. These are businesses that run at different speeds, have different kinds of investors with different expectations on on uh, on returns. Um. But to say that the clinic businesses aren't successful, that, that's the part I, I take issue with because I look across the spectrum and um, I, I see very successful uh, clinic businesses, the ones that are, are run right, particularly the psychiatry-led uh, ketamine-inclusive uh, mental health practices are, are doing quite well. And there's examples of substantial roll-ups in the market today to with those. And uh, the clinics, our clinics, were um, spun out of. Uh, we saw divested of those clinics. They were spun out uh, under the name APS, led by my friend uh, Dr. Nazir, and uh, they're expanding now. Uh, and they brought on new investors who were suited for for that market.
0: Uh, well, I, I always like to be proven wrong um, because I I I do. I mean, it's the only way I learn. You know, so I appreciate the the correction. Um, Ken, you you know you guys were talking earlier about specifically targeting drug development, and Chaim said you are not interested in the um the targeted psychiatry, the diagnostic side of the business. Does the the drug delivery side, the, whether it be clinics or like I had mentioned, things like sublingual patches or sub, you know, uh, other ways of getting these drugs into the bloodstream. Is that an area of interest for Negev? Is that somewhere that you guys want to deploy capital or are you just linearly focused on drug development?
4: Well, it's pretty easy answer. So first of all, drugs should be developed until the end and then you can spend time and money to optimize uh, how they deliver it. And secondly... Uh, doesn't make any sense to have uh, thousands of clinics before you have a drug to be administered there. That's all. That's why thought, we want to change the, the system. We want to change the mental health care system. But the most important topic is to deliver new effective drugs. And what we invest is new effective drugs. And I believe as soon as we do it, a lot of companies will open a lot of new clinics and will be very successful. But first we need drugs
0: well you know maps is is not far from an fda approval you know it's believed that it'll be hopefully sometime either at the end of of this year or q1 of next year is there not a need to to dual track this right because once mdma therapy is approved MAPS has to be able to actually get the, the, the drug into the hands of clinicians, have trained those clinicians to be able to deliver the drug. So for a company that's in phase one, yeah, it doesn't make sense to be thinking about, oh, how am I going to go treat um, y- you know, uh, women's sexual dysfunction uh, with psilocybin because realistically I'm seven years away from it. But if I'm in phase 2B or phase 3A, when is the time, in your guys' view, that a drug developing company should be looking at their commercialization model?
4: From my perspective, uh, these companies should never invest in, uh, in in this infrastructure. It's a business of other people, and these businesses are not uh, live together. And we all know, right? Right now, it's already. Uh, Progressing, so we know Healing hidden Reed from this Scottish Shandro, who's uh, just launched a few months ago, and they investing in these clinics. Uh, other guys who is doing the same. I'm very sure that they will be successful. But for drug development company to invest in in this business, it's crazy. Do you know any pharmaceutical company who has a network of clinics?
0: I I, I don't know a single. Fra- I think the challenge is that a, uh, a lot of the investors who look at the psychedelic community come out of the cannabis community, at least at the retail perspective. And the cannabis business model is a vertically integrated model. I grow the plant, I process the plant, I sell the plant. And they don't understand that biotech, because all this is is fundamentally, this is a biotech play. This is a medical device play. This is a clinic play, which are three very separate components to the industry. But because um, the initial early investors came out of cannabis, there is a there may be uh, just a misunderstanding of the structure of this industry. You know, is that something that you guys encounter when you're trying to raise capital? Or how, how does that play out?
4: I, they, they always they always tell that uh, guys it's not a cannabis 2.0 never. Right. Yes.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's been beaten out of the industry to, to put it crassly in in the last eighteen months. I think that uh, I think that fallacy, Lewis, and I, I you know my my company and Wisana and several companies that attempted to put these two businesses under the same roof. Um, lived through that, and in no small part, they had um, folks from the cannabis uh, industry earnestly trying to do right uh, by uh, by their stakeholders. Uh, make uh, act on that fallacy. I will say one thing about considering commercialization, though. Um, I agree with uh, a thousand percent with everything uh, Ken just said. We do place. Um, We do look well on companies that are thinking about the nature of how their indication is treated in clinics and not to own clinics, not to combine those businesses, but with a deep understanding in different geographies, the world is bigger than the United States. How those how those indications are treated in clinics? What are the limitations? How can the effects of the the drug itself uh, be tailored for context? People that are are context savvy uh, goes a long way, and you know that that's also something that we can bring uh, to our portfolio of companies.
0: You you guys mentioned earlier that you are looking at drugs that are not the, the the basic classical psychedelic, right? There, there's no real IP protection around those, and if you look at the challenges that Compass has faced around IP, you know, they had filed dozens of, of patents, and, you know, one by one they've been knocked down, and I think they're down to their last patent, um, which is around set and setting, which is really kind of amazing. Um, when you think, though, about the... the Analogues of these, where they're tweaking them, like an S ketamine versus an R ketamine, or the different the different versions of these drugs. Are you looking for specifics around duration, around uptake, like what is the structure of the molecule? And I don't mean the chemical structure, but like we know, for example, uh, a, um, a psilocybin trip takes anywhere from four to eight hours, right? An LSD trip is 10 to 14 hours. An Ibogaine trip could be 24 hours. And the costs associated with that are massive, right? You have to have two therapists. You have to have uh, heart rate monitoring equipment. You have to have blood pressure equipment, all these things that, that drive the cost of the application of the drug up. Are you thinking mostly about in-clinic drugs that shorten that? Or are you thinking about versions that can be taken at home? Like, how are you thinking about these drugs?
4: Okay, so it's a great question. So there is a second generation of drugs, and there is a third generation. So for the second generation, it's usually we're looking for properties that increase uh, efficacy of the treatment with a shorter duration. You're absolutely right that the uh, healthcare system, they cannot afford to administer the drugs that uh, needs two, two therapists and eight hours of the treatment. Uh, third generation of the drugs. Yes, there are some companies that have novel molecules that may, may work without any treatment at all. But as of now, there is no human human trials in these drug candidates, and we don't know whether it works in humans or not. But we as a fund, know we are agnostic, so we we don't pretend to be the smartest guys in the room, because there are a lot of discussions about whether you need a psychedelic trip or not to have a healing effect. We invest uh, in broader spectrum. We want to support all the best management teams with all the bright ideas, And we know that some of them will succeed. According to our business model, even if 70% of our portfolio companies will fail, we will be successful. So for us, it's essential to support all the meaningful and bright ideas and molecules. And then let's see how it goes. Luis, I
2: wanna go back and, and talk about the public markets a bit, because I'm, you, you know, you're right. This isn't cannabis 2.0, but the public markets fell out of love with psychedelics not long after Compass reported their phase 2a mm-hmm. results. Why do you guys think this happened, and, and you know, when can we see the public markets come back here?
4: Uh, Phil, you know, it's uh, it's controversial. Uh, it was at the same time when the whole biotech uh, fell down as well. So it, maybe just a uh, consequence. It, it's, uh, it's not because of these results. Uh, actually, we see the results of COMPOS is, uh, is uh, exciting. So Stuart right. Seidman, my partner in science, and he, he treat uh, the sickest of the sick patients, and he knows by himself what does it mean to heal treatment-resistant depression. When he saw like 30% remission rate, he was, wow, this is wonderful. This is exciting. This is the best drug that I will have ever seen before. But because most of the investors in these companies were not from the biotech funds, but it was just retail investors, that sometimes they just don't understand uh, the details. They looked at the, some adverse effects, and they just started selling all these companies. But it just doesn't make any sense. So we, we believe that all the results that we have right now, even forget about COMPAS, look at the results of the small pharma. It's amazing. It's just a 30 minutes treatment, uh, one one shot, and you, uh, you have like 50% remission rate from major depressive disorder. There are a lot of positive results right now that general public doesn't understand. They don't care right now about all this positive data. This industry needs much more professional investors. They need institutional investors who will support these companies in long term and we, as a fund, we don't care about the share price. We care about the positive data about positive signal. And we support all the best companies in the space.
0: So let's 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 uh, talk best 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 bets and worst bets you have ever made, right? Because fundamentally you are making a bet when you, when you invest in a company, I'm betting on the future of this company, right? I'm betting that this is going to be a great return. So what is the best bet you have ever made? And what is the worst bet you have ever made? And what are the lessons that you learned from both?
4: uh, Uh, Yes. uh, I So, Actually, if you, when you manage the venture capital firm, uh, especially you no know, negative fund one just uh, in the Finish line of the investment period, just closing the last investment <coughs> fund one, uh, usually in the first years of fund life, you see only worst investments that you have done. <laughs> <laughs> because the worst companies usually fail first. Uh, so to answer about the best companies right now, I cannot answer you. We will see this in two, three years from now, when we will have beautiful, successful exits. I have my personal opinion about which companies will deliver that, but I don't want to talk about that. I love all our children. We are partners and we... Uh, I of- call
0: bullshit. Yes. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But you okay. definitely, there is definitely no. an investment that you're like, oh, there, I know, that's 100x. They may be a
4: 2x, but they're 100x. I won't do this because 50% of our portfolio companies are public companies. I won't do this because to be an investment advice. And guys, if you want to invest in psychedelics, please go to us, invest in our fund, and we'll show our reports. You'll see uh, in which companies will spend most of our money and you'll understand uh, what our main priorities so i i won't answer that question could okay but how about I, the, how about I, the, how about Lewis, the, oh, could, go ahead
3: so yes. sorry let, let me add one, one thing to that because ken you asked ken to look retroactively you know in, in fund one which are all active companies so i i his answer is an excellent one just looking forward let me make the the following point about best bets and 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 worst bets and there's going to be fascinating unpacking as to why companies succeeded why companies failed and and all of that but broadly speaking for fun too one of the things that uh that, that i found so compelling and again it was an honor to join Negev because of is the strategy where uh we're looking at at uh, a sizable fund. It'll be a, a, a fund at a at a scale the industry uh, hasn't seen but needs, and in time will become normal, not not exceptional in scale. Um, and if we're looking at positive phase two B data being the the exit from this mid stage of development, and that's where the ten x, the twenty x returns uh, come from, uh, then broadly speaking. Um, the minority, 30% of the companies could uh, be have successful t- to be data. and the LPS will see an excellent return of you know, 3 to 5x w- within that five- year window. So I, I zoomed out from the specifically which companies are winners and which are losers, but there's a really important broad point here. We're talking about multiples in drug development that are also like very different than clinics or anything else. Where the winners, uh, who and by the way, winning equals effective care of patients, the 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 winners will will uh, eclipse uh, the companies that that fail earnestly. Uh, in in achieving their clinical results,
0: you know the I, I'm going to let this slide because you guys both did a really effective job of not answering the question. So we're just going to say we're going to acknowledge that you said a lot and you you explained a lot, but you you assiduously avoided it, and I'm cool with that. I, I have a, just one or two more questions, and I because I want to be respectful of your time, and I know you're both in Israel and it's Shab- and, it,
4: and it's Shabbos. Right. Sorry, so sorry. I can I can answer a question about our worst investment. I have no issue. I that. would love that. All right. And most importantly,
0: not only who, but what was the lesson? Like I know from experience that I'm I only learn when I fail. Like, you know, I, I, I got to figure out what the hell did I do wrong so I don't repeat it. So what did you what did you where was your failure and what did you do wrong and what what did you learn?
4: Yeah, and I fully agree with you. Actually, our experience with the first fund was sometimes painful. Yes, yeah, so when we launched this fund, we uh, haven't had any deep experience in psychedelic science and in these companies. It was so many new companies that emerged, so it was pretty difficult to make the uh, right decision. But I believe we have done a lot of great decisions. So, uh, about the worst investment, but I would like to add that it's not the worst company uh, in our portfolio. I believe this company will be very successful, but the, the worst investment was uh, participation in pre-IPO round of Atai. Hmm. That's about $12 per share, uh, about like uh, two years, exactly it was two years ago, yes. and. Right now on that investment, we have a loss of nine, almost 90% uh, loss of that investment. So that was the worst one, but uh, we still believe that, and we know that that has a pretty diversified portfolio. They have so many shots and goals, and even the, that unsuccessful trial uh, with perception neuroscience its bad, but mm. they have so many shots and goals that we believe this investment in future will be successful but we as a fund you know uh, for example, last year we purchased a lot of entire stock when it was declining the price so we purchased a lot of stock just on very low price so right now our average cost is not so bad so we, we are pretty happy with that you'll we'll see okay thank see you. you well you answered it but
0: but what was the lesson you learned Right, because you bought it at 12 and you dollar cost average down to, to lower the average share price. But what was the lesson you learned about buying at 12?
4: Don't invest in the rider uh, who speaks too much about his horse without looking at the horse.
0: Uh, that's a, uh, an interesting answer. And I'm, I'm going to leave that because we all know who the riders are in that um, and I appreciate that answer. Um, my last question, Chaim, you, one of the things that you said a, a couple of minutes ago was that you are investing in the science and that at the end of the day, you know, all we care about is proper patient care, that we are going to find drugs that actually address underlying, whatever the condition is. And, and you know, when you were saying that, the story I'm telling myself is, okay, and we want to find blockbuster drugs. Right. Like we need a drug that's going to make a billion dollars a year because that's how we're going to get that return. I think of about probably one of the most effective and successful blockbuster drugs, um, which is Viagra, which was not designed initially to treat you know, erectile dysfunction. It was uh, I think it was a heart medication. Right. So is there, are there going to be, do you guys believe that there are going to be secondary and tertiary applications for psychedelics down the line that we can't even begin to think about? And, and how are you thinking about that?
3: Uh, I'll, I'll answer it. And by the way, you don't need to go to cardiac and sexual function. <laughs> Ketamine is being used off label. And in a couple of States insurance companies are even in, I think it's a, I, I, you can fact check me on this, but I think it's the first time that companies like blue cross blue shield are remunerating off label use of a drug because it's so effective that that was an anesthetic, right? So you don't have to go that, you can still stay within mental health and and see the examples that you're calling for. But, um, uh, indication, Sprawl and indication spread is a hundred percent going to happen, and I think we're going to see it very quickly when uh, when MDMA uh, comes on market. Uh, for, we 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 know it's it's anecdotally and through all sorts of wonderful research, we we know that its uh, its efficacy extends beyond PTSD, uh, and it's going to be is currently in other jurisdictions and will be used. Uh, legally off-label for all sorts of other indications. So, what what you're proposing is going to happen. We're going to see it soon.
0: Well, um, thank you guys, Chaim and Ken, for the time. Um, You've been really generous, not only with your time, but with your thoughts, your honesty. um, And it's been a great conversation. I know we would love to have you back um, when you have a couple of closings on, on, um, you know, taking some public companies private, because boy, I know there's lots of great companies out there that need your help that are doing amazing science. And you know, one of them, I'm just going to throw it out there is awaken. If you look at what awaken has done with their addiction research and the use of ketamine and eventually MDMA, you know, unbelievably helpful, hopeful, and they're, they're, uh, their share price is so low as to like you, you know, you could reach into your pocket and, you know, take them private. So, um, again, thank you. And if there's anything you guys, any closing thoughts that you want to throw out there, speak now or hold your peace until the next time we do this. Uh,
4: Liz, thanks a lot for having us. Uh, I believe uh, this podcast. Uh, in five years from now, will be uh, very, very uh, popular because we discuss the things that in five years from now will be completely different. What we have right now. From your mouth to God's ears. We'll see. So, yes, and
0: Chaim, it's always a pleasure, man. I love our chat. So this is it's it's a great way to, to for us to re-engage.
3: Yeah, thank you very much Louis. I I really enjoyed it as well. I'll just say I'm I'm excited and and honored to uh to be part of Negev. Uh, that's when when we last spoke I was uh, I was doing something different though in in the same sector and this is is not a space I intend to leave a, anytime soon. I mean I'm it, it's going to make a big difference.
0: That's why we're in it. I mean honestly, it's why we're in it. So it's great. Um, guys, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, man. Thanks again to Ken Belotsky and Chaim Rocklaw of Negev Capital. You can learn more about their company at negevcap.com. As always, thanks for listening. And if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the Green Rush, which is at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Or just drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com we're always looking for your feedback and guest ideas and don't forget to subscribe to the green rush in your favorite podcatcher one take shay one take